I could not see the light at the end of the tunnel when I was in some of my darkest moments, forcing me to shed the version of myself that could not go where I was going. No matter how successful I was, I was numb. The version of myself that I have found, I would not have found her without the ugly invitation into the most intimate, deepest relationship with myself. And this concept means so many things to me beyond financially wealthy. Rich in community, rich in connection, rich in network, rich in health, rich in family, rich in opportunity. Welcome to the transition. Welcome to the new podcast. Welcome to the new concept. And welcome to my new life, rich in real life. Before we jump into today's episode, I could not let you go any further without inviting you to one of the most incredible women's communities and events that you will ever go to to start off your 2023 on the best foot. I promise you that. If you have never heard of Innovative Income Summit, you must go check it out now, innovativeincomesummit.com. It was a woman's, it's a two-day summit that was created over three years ago. There have been seven events since then. This is something you cannot miss. Not only is it an opportunity to sit in a room and acknowledge that you want more and you know your purpose is deeper and more divine than where you may currently feel like you are at, but it is an opportunity to create new connections, invite new women into your life, possible partnerships, maybe start new businesses, learn from incredible six and seven figure experts. But not only that, we use one of those two days to prioritize your healing because if you know anything about business ownership, growth at any level, even if you are in a high level career, that as you choose to grow, it will be the greatest self-development journey you will ever go on. And so one of those two days is spent on prioritizing your healing with profound healing experts, people that we have tested and we know personally to be tried and true because they've helped us on our own personal journeys when it comes to growing ourselves and growing our business. This is the premier event to attend when you are deciding that 2023 is the year that you will elevate to a new level, both personally and professionally, because we will do all of that in one room. And side note, one of those nights of the event, we will be having a rich in real life after dark panel. And so we will be taking our six and seven figure female experts and be sitting with them and having some true girl chat. And we invite you, it's a pajama party and you come in your funnest of pajamas and come sit on the floor with us with popcorn and blankets. And we are going to have us a ball. So this two day event will be something you do not want to miss. It's the best way to start off your 2023. And so I'm inviting you now to get a seat, to sit in this room with us and join us. And especially, you already know I want to give you a hug. So head over to InnovativeIncomeSummit.com. The event is January 21st and 22nd, all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And I cannot wait to give you a big hug and see you in this room. I cannot wait to see you there. What's up, guys? Welcome back. It's your girl, your host, Jessica Hurley, and we are here for another incredible episode with a profound guest. And I know we like to have fun. We like to shoot the shit. We like to be as real as we can possibly be. But today's guest is going to get real, um, we're not even going to say deep, let's just say scientific on y'all. And I think it's time, right? Because we throw around these terms all the time, depression, anxiety, um, emotion, sadness, mindfulness, but we don't talk about how it affects us or what it 
what is happening in our actual brain, right? And we hear all the time that one of the most popular things to say right now is anxiety and excitement feel the exact same way. And it's just your brain's perspective. It's your opportunity to change your brain's perspective. But do we actually know how to do that? Do we actually know what's going on? And so to bring, bring about today's guest, who is a actual neurologist, the author of a book, Neuroplasticity, that is deeper than I could even explain, you guys, and author of the book, Nuri the Neuron, which was a book created for kids to better understand their brain and the creator of Taking Charge of Your Brain, a course to help you change your brain and change your life. Guys, I am so excited to have an actual neurologist on so we could actually uncover some real things about what is happening in this brain because sometimes I'd be like, what the hell? So I'm really excited today to introduce to you Dr. Philippe. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited for this conversation. So thank you. God only knows where this is going to go because <laughs> there's a lot. So, all right. So first things first, I'm going to go completely off the cuff and throw myself under the bus, right? Because this book that he has written, Neuroplasticity, is incredible. And what I do like is it's it's not crazy. Your chapters are very short. It's very straight and forward to the point. It is a little, you know, neurons, brain functionality, some deep things, but it was very awe-inspiring that I was like, wow, this is connected to this and we are very powerful. So there's a, there's a chapter in there about anxiety as well as a, a whole lot of other really good things. And I would venture to say that majority of my life my personal life, I've never, I've rarely ever felt anxiety unless I was in a car or on a plane. It had to be a physical feeling of danger. And then I become very, well, I become very anxious before because because the, the danger actually doesn't happen, right? <laughs> so I, I become anxious at the idea of the fear of the, the danger. But as of recent, for the first time ever, I feel like I have become overwhelmed with anxiety. And I'm like, where did the, I wake up with it? I'm like, this is the first time in my life that I now understand what people with anxiety order, disorder feel like. And it feels very hard to control. So in, in baby steps, can you kind of explain what is happening in our brain when we feel extremely anxious? Sure. So I think, first of all, people need to realize that anxiety is completely normal, right? We, we all go through it. We all have those moments. You just mentioned used to get it uh, on an airplane, mm -hmm. right? Which a lot of people feel anxious on airplanes. Yeah, used to nothing's get it. actually happening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope nothing is happening. Right? Knock on wood. <laughs> um, people certainly feel anxious when they're about to do public speaking, right? That's mm -hmm. completely normal. And so when there is a trigger that we can sort of immediately link to the anxiety, we always consider it, oh, that's, that's completely normal. But if we can't see the trigger, then we're like, oh, there's something wrong. Right? Or if the anxiety is now um, having a significant impact on somebody's life, then we say, oh, there's something wrong. Right? I always tell people, look, anxiety starts in your brain, but then it goes to your body. Mm -hmm. It has its manifestations in the body. Right? And the, the reality is that's because your brain controls your body. So that, that shallow breathing you get, completely normal. Right? The, uh, your muscles getting tight, that is completely normal. The racing thoughts, your racing heart rate, that is all completely normal. And in fact, that happens during times where we're doing things that we actually enjoy, right? It can happen during exercise. It can happen if we're on a roller coaster. Uh, 
It can happen during sex. It can happen at all other times in life. It's just about realizing that what we're going through is a completely normal response. And now we've got to do the work to figure out why or what the trigger is in that moment. Okay, we got to unpack this for a second because as someone that has gone through this, now I completely understand. One, when you're in it, it is so hard to double back because you are focused on it. You're like, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. How do I get it to stop? And one, I don't know if y'all heard his invitation that it is like a baseline amount of anxiety is normal, that it actually, I read in your book that it focuses your attention. And I was like, oh my God, that's so real. Like as a former, very laid back person, I need a little bit of anxiety in my life to be forced to do things that I'm not used to doing. Um, but how do you, there's almost to me, it feels like with anxiety, there's a point of no return. Like you get so anxious and so wound up and so scared of your actual anxiety that you don't know how to break it. Yeah. And I read in your book, you said this line of like, or that people often say like neurons that we fire apart, wire apart. And I was like, that sounds really great and attractive, but I have not been at a point (laughs) where I could (laughs) just be like, skirt, because you just said it. When I now voice to people that I am, I am feeling not suffering, but feeling a lot of anxiety recently they go, well, where, where do you think it's rooted? What is, what, it, what do you think at the root is causing that? And I'm like, I actually don't know guys. I don't know. There's not a very specific thing I wake up thinking about. I'm just very not at ease. I'm very worried and I'm very, my life feels very erratic right now, but I don't know what it is. And I don't know how to stop the thought. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course that makes sense. And the reality is that thoughts with an S because it's a lot of thoughts. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> it is a lot of thoughts. Look, there, there's some studies out there that say that people have anywhere between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. Like I have no idea how they measured how many thoughts people have. But when we think <laughs> I about they're like, that, say what you're thinking, say what you're right. thinking, say what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's really amazing about that is that 90 to 95 percent of those thoughts are the same exact thoughts we had the day before. And then we wonder why people's lives don't change, right? And then out of those 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts people are having, 60 to 70% of them are negative. And we wonder why everybody is miserable. Like we do have to change the way that we think. We do need to change our perspective. We've got to be very mindful of what we're feeding ourselves and not just what we're feeding our bodies, but what we're feeding our minds, right? So for me, when this pandemic started, Oh, man, I was glued to that news. Mm. Like, I knew everything happening, right? Mm-hmm. I remember one day, it was December, uh, I guess the pandemic started, what, 2020? Really? Like It hit the U.S. February 2020. Right. February 2020. Yep. So, December, we're, I'm, it's December 2020. I'm at home. I'm watching the news, and they're like, 300,000 plus people were infected today, right? And in my brain, I'm like, shit. That means everybody is going to get COVID. Yeah. If 300,000 are being affected every single day, day, you times that by. Right. That's an easy math equation. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know what happened about three weeks later? What? I was hospitalized with COVID. <gasps> and look, I'm, I'm a doctor, so I know I'm supposed to believe certain things. Yeah. But there was part of me that was like, damn, I brought this onto myself because all I was doing was focused on COVID. I attracted this. Right. And I was very anxious about you, it. You saying some shit right now that some people don't want to hear, but I believe it. Yeah, I believe it because the whole all of COVID I kept and my episode is probably going to get censored for saying these words. Um, all of it. I felt 
and this is like really childish, but the whole time I was like, I'm good. I eat good. I'm good. Like I eat very healthy. We good out here. I'm not going to get it. Like it's good. And then I wasn't, for some reason, I wasn't even worried about my child getting it. Cause my child went to daycare the entire time in Florida. And everybody was like, your kid, I would talk to people from Virginia. They'd be like, your kid still goes to daycare. Like, but I never felt like I was going to get it. And I actually ended up getting it four days before a live event. And I was like, well, I don't have time to care about this shit right now. So <laughs> I took a bunch of medicine, slept two days and went right back to it. And like nothing happened. It was wild. Yeah. Like nothing happened. And I was like, but there were so many people, like you said, that were so scared of it. And yeah, and it happened. And it happened. And it landed me in the hospital. I was hospitalized for two weeks. And I knew that if I got it, and here's why I was super anxious about it, because I had had a kidney transplant before. Right. I was on medications that suppressed my immune system. And I knew that if I got COVID, I probably wouldn't survive. <gasps> right? And then I got it. I mean, I, I did a hard quarantine for that year. Like, I kept my circle super small. I, like, basically, I kept it to my kids, right? I didn't do anything. I didn't go anywhere. Like, I was indoors the entire time, and I still got it. Landed me in the hospital. What kidney function I had left for my previous transplant, it completely wiped out. Wow. And I had to, uh, I ended up on dialysis, which at the time was my biggest fear in life. It was the thing I was most anxious about. And the reason being was because everybody I had seen in the hospital who was on dialysis looked like they were ready to die. Right. And so I, I remember the, the night in the hospital when they came to me and they were like, Dr. Duyon, you're going to need dialysis. Right. You were like, it's over. I was like, fuck. I, you know, and this is me, this is me being vulnerable. Yeah. I cried. Right. Yeah. I let myself cry. Let myself feel those emotions for a good hour. And then afterwards, I was like, I need to make a decision. Am I going to do dialysis the way that I saw everybody else in the hospital do it? Or am I going to do dialysis my way? And so in that moment, I was like, I'm going to do dialysis my way. I traveled while doing dialysis. I had some news agency following me. So I would be taking videos and pictures in the dialysis center, which they were not happy about. <laughs> right? I would take meetings in dialysis, like Zoom meetings in dialysis. Like I was like, hey, don't worry about this catheter coming out my chest. Don't, don't even focus on that. Look, look here. Look here. <laughs> right? So wow. I did it very, very differently. I used that time, of course, for rest because dialysis is draining, physically, emotionally draining. Right. But I also used that time for personal and professional development. Right. And so it was about facing this fear and deciding to do it differently. Mm. Okay. So if we say facing this fear differently and we are, I've heard people say that like, oh, I'm naturally anxious. Right. And I wouldn't say that about myself, but I've heard people say that if you are in an anxious state and you can't trigger the point of the anxiety, how do you face your fears? How do you stop the because one thing I do know and it says that in your book is that the more you feed it the more you're like I don't know what do you call that like making it permanent the more you're making it part of you the more you're telling your brain this is the case this is indeed something to be worried about yeah so how do you stop the thought if you don't know the root of it if that makes sense yeah so one thing I always tell patients or anybody I work with is stop saying you know, I am an epileptic. 
I am anxious. I am depressed, mm-hmm. right? Because then your brain is going to believe that. And the reality is that your brain is always, it's always looking to prove you right. No matter your, what. Because your brain's primary function for you is what? To keep you safe, to enhance your survival. Okay. Right? So you've got to stop. The only thing you should be saying I am to is like, I am great. I am loved. I am brilliant. I am rich. I am wealthy. I'm Whatever safe. it is that you want. I am safe. Mm. Can that, and I, I'm just speaking for someone listening as they're like, someone's like, okay, so I can affirm, you're saying I can affirm my way out of an anxious state. I can heal my anxious side of the brain or portion of the brain by affirming my way out of it? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to realize what you are feeling is completely normal, right? Yes, yes. in medicine. Acceptance. Yeah, we, we, everything is a disorder in, in medicine, right? <laughs> e- like everything, you know? And, and we're going to no. come up with a pill <laughs> to give you, even though it's not going to do ish for you, right? It's certainly not Y'all going to solve here. the underlying problem, right. right? But we have sold you on this idea that you could treat your body any way that you want. You could treat your mind any way that you want. You could not take care of yourself for decades. And there's going to be a pill to fix that. And as a doctor, I can only think of one medication that's a cure for, it, for anything. And I'm not saying that medications are not important. They are. I take medications every day to keep myself alive. Yep. Right? But hardly ever does it fix the underlying issue. And you have to do the work if you really want to get healthy. And that's not just about your physical body. It's also about your mental health. You got to do the work, right? So one of the things that I see all the time as a neurologist is I see people with conversion disorders. So that means that people who come in and they look like they're having some neurological issue, like Mm -hmm. there's some kind of dysfunction in their brain. But when we take a picture of their brain, when we, you know, use different tests to measure their brain, everything is normal, right? There's no structural change at all. So they're telling themselves. Right. So it's not that they're telling themselves. So in particular, I'm an epileptologist. I see people who have epilepsy, people who have seizures. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you will have somebody who's had this diagnosis of epilepsy for years. Right. They can't control it with any medication. And then they come to an epileptologist and it's like you actually don't have epilepsy. You have what we call non-epileptic events. It's a conversion disorder. So when somebody is having a seizure, you get a burst of electrical activity in your brain, almost like a short circuit. Right? But with these non-epileptic events, you don't see that. Right? And it, what it is, is it's your body's way of manifesting stress. Some stressor that you never dealt with. So I'll, I'll give you an example. There was this woman that I saw. Young woman, probably in her 30s, married, couple of kids. And she was having seizures. And they could not control her seizures. So I see her in the hospital. We put her on this EEG to look at the electrical activity in her brain, right? So I get a call from one of my texts being like, she's seizing. Now, I can just log in from my office. I can look at the video of what she's doing as well as look at her brain waves. I looked at the video of what she's doing, and immediately I was like, she's not having epileptic seizures. This is a woman who has been sexually abused. Right? And so... I just got the chills. In that moment, I was like, I need to go downstairs into the hospital, sit down, and now have a conversation with her, right, about what I'm seeing, right? And so we talk about it, and she says, yes, I have been sexually abused. This happened when I was a kid. You can tell from someone's brainwaves? I can tell by the video. 
I can tell by what her body was doing during these episodes. Right? I'm bored right now. So we go and we have this conversation. And one of the triggers for her was light, right? Especially flashing lights. And so when we delve deep into this, right? This is not a conversation that takes place in five minutes. This is like, yeah, you have this conversation with this person for hours. You right. have to you're be like, right, you, open. you're basically like, man, I got to clear my schedule for a couple hours. I'm not <laughs> going home on time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. none of that is happening, right? And so, yeah, so we're having this conversation and we're, I'm talking to her about the lights. And she says, you know, my abuser used to take pictures of me. And so there were flashes of light, right? So people are not always going to be aware of what their triggers are for anything, especially not things that are neurological or, or um, mental health issues, right? But you have to do the work. You have to uncover what the underlying problem is and then you might be like listen I, i've worked through this i'm good i am good right i know what my trigger is and then down the line there's a trigger that you didn't know about that now has brought you back i to always where you say are. you are as good as your next trigger yep. everyone i'm good i'm good i'm good because i saw myself right walk through a trigger that used to really drive me up a wall yeah and then i'm like until your next one that's right <laughs> until your that's next right. one and then you're like shit i no. Mm -mm. and you know where this plays out a lot in relationships, yes! in relationships, in romantic relationships, right? People are like, oh, man, I was in that horrible relationship. I went, I did therapy. I did I'm my healing. Now. Oh, I am so good. I am ready for the love of my life, right? Shit. Ready for the love of my life. <laughs> and then what happens when you get into a relationship? Well, things start to come up that remind your body and your brain of what happened back then that you weren't even aware about. It might be the food the person cooked. Right? It might be the way that they looked at you or the way that they touched you. I knew a girl back in high school who her, somebody like forced a kiss on her, right? which was very traumatic on her. And so she had problems. She struggled to kiss her boyfriend back in high school. Right? Like the traumas leave traces in your brain and your body. This is so, this is so important to me right now because from someone that has come from a long-term relationship and gone out and started dating, um, anytime I have the slightest trigger and I tell someone I'm close to or I'm friends with, they're like, girl, you need to go back and heal that. Or, oh, oh, are you still holding on to that? Because I'm trying to tie it to something that happened, but I'm like, but wait, I've done the work. And sometimes I can't even put my finger on the things that are, it's not even like, cause people will say, um, oh, well, that's cause you, you're in a relationship with your ex still and something else. And I'm like, no, no, no. But this feels like something that's not right. Yep. I'm completely present, but it feels like something that's not right. That and not being able to put your finger on that or not being able to trace it directly back to something that has happened to you in a past relationship. Like, this this ugh, this is screaming at me because I feel like I've been in like six month patterns of I can only hold myself together so long. I can only fight the good fight so long. I can only hustle for so long. And then I surface into this place where I'm either overly anxious, overwhelmed, burned out. I get to this. I get to the same end of the thread every time, but it comes out in a different reaction. 
And it feels to me, and I haven't been able to quite put it on my finger yet, but it feels to me like something's coming up. Mm. Like something is trying to surface. There's something very deep that is trying to come out that is like, if you don't address this, I will not let you press play on life any further. Yep. Does that make sense? That, that makes complete sense. I, in my body, mm-hmm. in my physical body, I have never been in more physical pain in my life. Yep. And people would say, you're just, you're getting older. The hell I'm not. <laughs> I am. I am. But I'm like, no, there's no way that my body would decline this fast. Right. There's no way, reason I should have severe lower back pain. Right. There's no reason my thumb, all of a sudden I developed a tick in my thumb. Hmm. Like there's no reason my thumb is twitching and my eye is twitching other than there being something in my body that is screaming at me right now that needs to be uncovered. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And you know what the really interesting thing is? Yes. So up until about, uh, we've learned more in the last 20 years about the brain than we did the previous 200 years, right? Thank God. And we used to think that our brains are static. They didn't evolve. That the only thing that could potentially happen to them is that like you develop some kind of dementia and lost some neurons. You can only lose right. from it. You cannot you can, add to it. You can't. Exactly. And now we know that you can, your brain is constantly evolving. You can constantly make new neurons and new connections. Your brain is constantly changing. And here's what's so powerful about that for me. If our brains are, con- are, are capable of constantly evolving, that means that we're meant to constantly evolve. Right? Mm-hmm. The work never stops. The work never stops. The work only stops the day that you die. Mm. Yeah, I remember reading something in your book that said it was so simple, but it made so much sense to me. It was like everything that we encounter has the ability to shape our brains. Everything. Oh, everything. Everything is yeah. an opportunity or like a stimuli yeah. to shape our brain. So it's constantly evolving. So I think of love entrepreneurship, effectiveness, productivity, and how everything us around us, like this is the equivalent of people saying like, well, you need to be around more motivated people. You need to assess who you're around. Absolutely. You need to assess what you're feeding yourself. You want to know why? Why? You want to know why it's so important who you have around you? Why? Because in our brains, we have what's called mirror neurons. Yep. Right? So if I scratch my nose, you're more likely to scratch your nose, right? Is that why we yawn? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. So the thought is that it's supposed to elicit empathy. Right. But here's the thing. It also not only allows us to mimic the behaviors of the people around us, but our neurons start firing at the same frequency as the people that we surround ourselves with. We start to think like them and we start to act like them. So you have to be very careful of, of who you surround yourself with. And this goes for not only like people not, you know, on an elementary state, we'll talk about like people that are not on our level or, but you're talking about people that are, are, may be a tad bit more anxious than you are, or people that may be battling depression or people that don't believe in love or hate the person that they're not hate, dislike the person that they're dating. Like you think that you'll be successful in dating when three of your friends are single or are unhappy. Good good (laughs) luck. (laughs) I always find it incredibly fascinating where somebody wants to be in a relationship mm-hmm. and they're taking advice from all their single friends. <laughs> like, what kind of nonsense is that? <laughs> like, yo. Well, we're not single by choice. We just can't find a man. No, that's, okay, what, that's well, what people would listen, say. That's well, what they something would say. is not working for them. So, you know, that's not the person to, to take advice from. Right. 
<sighs> this is so good. Okay. So hold on before we go to, um, cause I do want to talk about mindfulness. I read something in there that you said about depression that I thought was really powerful. I also think the word depression is thrown around way too loosely. Well, everything right now is thrown around very loosely. Yes. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't question anybody on anything because everything is a mental health issue. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so we're either extreme where everything's either yeah. a mental health issue or everyone thinks that they have a mental health issue. Right. Yeah. That's a really good, hold on, wait. So that's a really good point because I'll be honest, the other day I, it felt like my brain was like over-functioning. Like it was just like a million thoughts a mile a minute. I couldn't focus on one thing. And I sat here for a minute and I was like, what can you do? And I just heard in my, in my thoughts, like you need a mental health break. Like you are overstimulated. You are, you have way too much going on and not necessarily like business wise or around me, but like you can't land on one thought right now. Mm-hmm. So you need to go back to the basics, go find peace, go somewhere yeah. that makes you feel really safe and quiet and silent. And, but then I was thinking like, when does someone know, and I hate to even tag it as that, like a mental health issue, but when does someone know my mental health needs to be addressed? So, so I would ask this, how often do you need to rest your body? Once a week, every night. Every, right. Every, yes, every <laughs> night. I'm sorry. Yeah, rest no, every day. Like... No, in my mind, I thought Sabbath. I was like, Sundays? I don't know. <laughs> you need to rest your mind every day also. Like I know for me, right, my most. But do we actually ever rest our mind? 60,000 thoughts a day? Do we ever actually well, listen, rest our mind? There are millions. Some people play the video game and they think they're resting their mind. Right, I, listen, <laughs> you can't go by what people say. Stop raising your hand. It's like, you cannot. Don't encourage us. All right? I'm, re- I'm resting my brain. Right. So I'm killing people. Like, yeah. Or when we watch Housewives, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something that doesn't require much thought of me. Right. So yeah. what is actually resting your brain? How so, do you silence that thing, that monster? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you may... So meditating is incredibly important, yes. right? Thank you. And I know for me, the, the, the smartest thoughts I ever have, the, the best ideas I ever have, they don't come in moments when I'm busy seeing patients or doing some other work. It comes during the times of quietness. Right? It comes when I am sitting. Silent speaks. Yeah. It comes when I'm being silent. That is when I, you know, I receive a message, whether you want to say it's from the universe or from God. Mm. That is when God speaks to me. And here's the thing. Like, I, I know I'm a doctor, so some yeah. doctors, you know, may not link medicine to, to, to God. But for me, our brains are the part of us that are most godlike. It is the part of us that is capable of creating. And not just our external external environment but also our internal environment right but we just need to know how to take control of that because our brains are like two-year-olds throwing tantrums they are out of freaking control if we allow them to be that's why they say you have to think you have to talk back your brain thinks you have to talk back to it i mean you should talk back to it hold on i'm just so captivated right now your brain is like a two-year-old having a tantrum and your brain is your most but it's also your most godlike yeah. Thing in your body. Right. So how do we like You gotta take control. If if I'm like, if I, said I feel to like you, this thing needs a leash then. If it's the most godlike, but, but listen, all the thoughts are not, that's right. for sure. But here's <laughs> the thing. Here's the thing, right? And this is like this is right now like a download from God. You are not your brain. Mm-hmm. You are not your brain. The fact that you are aware that you have thoughts suggests that you are much a much higher power than your brain. 
So yes, you do need to take control of that. So what are some ways, change your brain, change your life. What are mm-hmm. some ways we can take care? You know, that's my, that's my ebook. I know. I saw, oh, okay. I saw <laughs> <laughs> Have you met me? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good for this. Change your brain, change your life. Yep. What are some ways we can take control amidst chaos amidst, because there yep. are moments where I feel like people wake up and they're like, my life took, my life took a leg of its own. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to do this. Yep. I didn't want to, you know, but they are thoughts we've had. And yep. somehow we're sure. there with in bed with COVID when we, swore we didn't please don't let me have covid right? right or i don't want a man that cheats on me and i've said it over and over but now i'm with a man that cheats on me. like you know that we end up with a life that we're like i didn't ask for this it, my life took a leg of its own so how do we look up in that moment and say okay i've gotten myself in a place that i don't want to be anymore how do i take control because we get especially <laughs> driven women we get real control ish we're like i'm i'm gonna take control of this thing what are some ways we change our brain change our life so there are really easy things that we can do to change our brains, right? So exercise is a big one. Mm-hmm. Exercise is the most powerful tool that we have, especially when it comes to neuroplasticity, your brain's ability to make new neurons, make new connections. Exercise is the most powerful antidepressant, mm. anti-anxiety treatment that we have, bar mm. none, right? So I know a lot of doctors, right? Yes. And doctors are like everybody else. We have... You know, we get anxious, yeah. we feel depressed, right? Yeah. We, we've got traumatic histories. I There are very few doctors that I know that actually take, like, antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds, right? Like, we tend to treat ourselves differently because we cannot sue ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so we, everybody else is convinced, like, you got to take this, right? Yeah. And we're like, uh, no, nah, I think I'll go play some tennis today. Like, yes. like I'm feeling really down. I'm going to go play tennis today. Like, and I've done that. Where I've, I've called up a friend. I'm like, yo, I cannot go to work today. Work yesterday was so damn stressful. Like, I, I need to recover. Yeah. I'll call out sick and be like, hey, can we go play some tennis? Because this will work wonders Because this will work wonders. No side effects works immediately. No exercise. No side effects works immediately. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was walking with a friend the other day outside because my thing is to go outside every day and walk. Yeah. And I'm like, I have felt so anxious lately. I felt so anxious lately. And I'm talking to her about this and I'm like kind of bouncing around with it. And she goes, it kind of looks to me like you just have a lot of energy. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'm going to run. Yeah. And I sprinted. And when I sprinted, I did a long sprint. When I got to the end, I was like, oh my God, I have more energy. Like, and so I sprinted until I was worn out. Like I sprinted myself to death. Yeah. Like seven, eight sprints until I finally wore it out. And then when I was walking back, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm good now. Right. Doesn't mean I got to the root of it, but the, it was just like this overexerted, the anxiousness was like this overexerted energy that I was like, I need this energy to get out. Yeah. And just running was like, oh yeah, I can shake that off now. Right. Wild, wild. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So exercise, no side effects. Yeah. Quickest result. Yeah. What else? Uh, what you eat is incredibly important, right? 90 to 95% of serotonin, which is the chemical that impacts our mood the most, right? It's responsible for anxiety and depression. 90% of that is made in our gut, right? So if you're eating things that are really unhealthy for you, that that's not going to be good for your mental health. And in fact, if you're eating a lot of processed foods, what's going to happen is that you're going to get, I mean, we all have gotten bloated, right? You like, you eat Mm -hmm. like, absolute shit and then you get bloated right that is inflammation 
that is happening. That inflammation does not just stay in your gut. That inflammation can make its way up to your brain, right? And cause you to have a lot of symptoms there also. So what we eat is super important. So it's funny, I was, and I, I probably shouldn't say this because I'm, I'm a doctor, but I, I really shouldn't say this. But so I'm, I'm in Miami yesterday. But I'm here. Right? <laughs> I'm in Miami yesterday and I'm like, how the hell? It, it was so hot, so hot and humid. I'm like, how the hell do people get fat in Miami? Yeah. Like it's so hot and humid. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, the doctor side of me kicked in and I was like, oh, because they're eating all those damn carbs, your body's putting out a bunch of insulin. Insulin is the biggest growth factor. It doesn't matter how much they're sweating <laughs> in this heat. It's based on what they're eating mm-hmm. and how their body is responding to that. So the foods we eat are incredibly important. Is it? There's another factor to that because I'm thinking about what America has told us is healthy versus what is right. actually healthy for us. Right. Which is a whole other yeah. thing. And let me. And it's not just what we eat; it's what we're drinking. Let me tell you: if I was creating, you know, an amazing society, yeah, I would not create a society where you start off the day with a stimulant, right? Drinking a stimulant like coffee. <laughs> And then you end the day. Puts coffee down. And then you end the, the day, day with, with something to calm you down, like alcohol. Do y'all hear that shit? Like that—that's the dumbest thing, I, like, possible. We start the day telling our body to hurry up, yeah, get it together, act energized, and then we end the day with a drink of like, yeah, cal- calm down. Right. You've you've done too much today. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> because I told you to this morning. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh. and then, since I just brought up alcohol, yes, worst thing you could do to your body. Do tell, tell us like, more. like this idea that you can. My have, weekend warriors, my my weekend warriors, listen, <laughs> listen closely. Listen, this idea that you know one drink a day is good for your heart is absolute bullshit. It is absolute bullshit, right? Every doctor will tell you, alcohol is one of the worst things you can do. It's associated with over two hundred diseases. Over 200 diseases. So from a neurological perspective, causes seizures, dementia, neuropathy, uh, causes something called Korsakoff syndrome, which is basically people are just lying out their ass because the damage that it causes to their brains, right? So, so, you, so you mean to tell me narcissist behavior could come from alcohol? Oh, a lot of things can come <laughs> from, from alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's an excuse for these eight shit men, y'all. Listen, listen carefully. Hold up. I am not signing on to that. I'm just kidding. I'm just you kidding. Know, okay, so um, go ahead. Yeah, it, it's just one of the... I mean, when we think about it, right, it's associated with, like, every crime out there, right? Oh, my God. If, let's say you got a good-looking guy at a club that sees a girl he likes and says, you know what? I'm going to send her a couple of roofie pills. What is that girl going to do? Freak the freak out. Freak out. And yeah. be like, absolutely not. Get that guy out the club. Right. But alcohol is the number one date drug, date rape drug. And <sighs> if a good looking guy sends a girl a drink. Drink. It's cute. Yeah. It's like he likes me. Until it's not. Until it's not. Okay. So I read in this book, A Return to Love, that you we often self-manufacture depression. Yeah. And that one of the ways we self-manufacture depression is through loveless sex. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. And then she went on to explain how not not that she was saying that it has to be done through marriage. She was saying that we crave we're all craving connection. Yeah. Sex is the easy way to do it with the ego to do it without like because the other form is true, vulnerable connection. Yeah. So like I'm going to avoid connecting with you vulnerably and just take my clothes off and connect with you physically. 
but that's how we manuf- uh, many people don't realize that's how we manufacture depression. Yeah, you know, sex and certainly uh, when people are having orgasms, right? Your your body secretes chemicals that allow you to feel good and allow you to feel bonded, like oxytocin, the same chemical that gets secreted when a uh, when a new mother is breastfeeding that allows her to bond with the baby gets secreted when people are having sex, right? So imagine, right? So you're having this loveless sex. Mm-hmm. Your body is secreting some levels of oxytocin and maybe dopamine, which makes you feel good. And then that's not returned. That, that, that like connection is not being returned to you. How's that going to make you feel? You just made me realize like why so many women, like we immediately feel rejection. Why we, we have anxiety because of that. Yeah. We feel dumped, not wanted not desired, all the things. When, what is it What is it that they say? That when men have more sex, they want you less. When women have more sex, they want you more. Oh, I've never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read it somewhere the I've, other I've day. I've never heard that. And I was like, oh my really? God, that's so true. And they were like, literally, that's why when you have loveless sex, it literally is like, it, it eventually has to divide because the man wants you less and the woman wants you more. Yeah, I've never heard that. But... Uh... <laughs> But, you know, it could certainly be be true. I do think that people end up feeling used and yes. they end up feeling not enough. Yes. Right? A thousand percent. Yeah. Oh, my God. So what are some other ways the brain, we talked, we kind of talked about how the brain self-manufactures anxiety mm-hmm. with more anxiety about anxiety. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> but how does the brain self-manufacture depression? Well, you know, the brain, so I'll say this, right? So if you focus on a thought mm-hmm. whatever whatever you're telling your brain is important to you it's going to find reasons to prove you right i'm broke i'm right? i'm unlovable i'm so, unworthy I'm, yeah yep okay if i if i tell myself dude i'm not successful yeah then all of a sudden it's gonna be like man that app that i created a few years back shit that, that was garbage <laughs> man i wish my my book sold more damn that test that i failed back in sixth grade what the what the hell i'm an idiot <laughs> Right, like that's the kind of yes, you know, path your brain's gonna take you on. And you just proved yourself. And you just proved yourself right. right. Right, that that is incredibly difficult. Right, that's gonna make you feel like crap. That's gonna make you depressed. I see people certainly if somebody has a structural issue going on in their brain, there's a high likelihood that they're going to have depression. However, if somebody has depression, that doesn't mean that there's a structural issue going on in the brain. Right, I see a lot of people. Mm-hmm. who are depressed because they're focused on things that happened in the past that they can no longer change. The same way I see a lot of people who are anxious because they're thinking about all the possibilities that may happen in the future that may or may never happen. Pause. You said that people experience depression because they can't let go of the past. And I, I remember reading in your book when you talked about mindfulness in the brain that being very mindful, truly mindful, incredibly self-aware allows you to let go of the past and relinquish anxiety for the future. Mm -hmm. And being truly mindful means that you are not judging yourself. And in order to not judge yourself, you also cannot judge others, correct? That's right. A lot of times when I see people who are incredibly harsh on other people, my first question is, what is going on with you? What is it that you're not forgiving yourself about? What is it that you're upset with yourself about? I'm freaking floored right now. (laughs) Okay, so hold on. 
Oh, wait, you said something about in your, in your book about depression that I wanted to read aloud because it really struck me. It said that this is about depression. It said that the, the effects of depression isn't simply that you are now in a sad state. It said that often the effects of depression actually look like emotional instability, lack mm -hmm. of sleep, lack of inability to have sex. But it said ineffective decision-making and inability to retain information. Yep. And when I read all of that, I was like, you know, a lot of people might not consider themselves depressed, but a lot of people do struggle with these things. Yeah. So does that mean that they are avoiding the fact that they could potentially be depressed or is it they're telling their brain that they're not, that these are just simple met like circumstance right now? Yeah. So I think a lot of depression goes unnoticed. Agreed. Right. So certainly a lot, especially the last couple of years, right? A lot of people yes. have been depressed with everything. Uh, that's been going on. But there's also a lot of other things that happen in our lives that can cause some of these things, right? I mean, we, we mentioned one, alcohol, right? The reality is like, I'm so I tell this story. Today. <laughs> I, I tell this story that now a few years back, right? Like a few years back, I was at a lounge, right? He's <laughs> like, I don't drink no more, but. <laughs> I was at a lounge, right? And uh, they were playing some good music and everybody was dancing, right? And then there was this woman next to me who was maintaining a pretty good two-step, right? <laughs> pretty good two-step. And then go. all of a sudden, she takes a couple of uh, sips of her drink. And then that two-step gets real clumsy. Like, we, we have a word for that in neurology. We call it ataxia, right? She became ataxic, right? And the neuro nerd <laughs> in me. I heard toxic AF. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> and the, the neuro nerd in me was like, there goes her cerebellum. Your there balance. goes there, Yeah. There goes the, her, the Purkinje cells in her cerebellum that impact her coordination and balance. But we all think that that's temporary. When we drink, we think it's temporary. This will go away tomorrow. Right. So, so what happens is that your, your, the cells in your brain start to shrink. They get dehydrated, right? And certainly if you just drink like you know, a couple of drinks and you, you stop drinking, then your, your brain will plump back up, especially if you are drinking water. However, people who are drinking moderately over a long period of time, their brains atrophy, they shrink, they shrink, right? They develop dementia, they develop all types of other issues. It's, it's the worst thing you can do for you. I, I, just, I just want to recognize that there's a lot of people in this room right now and everybody's <laughs> not silent because we're talking, they're silent because we're like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> shit See, she's got what is that water drink, i don't know i don't even know water. if that's water drinks water <laughs> <laughs> yeah shit yeah you know how many people i see all the time because of alcohol related issues and they could be functional they're, they're like lawyers doctors ceos oh, for sure you know they're, they're doing their thing but it's like hey if it lands you in my office you got a serious problem <sighs> okay before I wrap, because I really want to do lead us into mindfulness. Physical. Are we at the point of no return when brain functionality gets to the body or is it vice versa? Like, like, for example, when I was telling you about the tick in my thumb, mm -hmm. I feel like to me, I have a very clear tie to where it came from. There was a period of time in my life where I suppressed a lot of anger and a lot of six months before this and all of a sudden I have this ticking thumb and to me it's the body's way of showing me you are harboring a lot by the time it gets to a bodily functionality is it 
Is that like, it's time to see somebody? Is that it's time to, it's too late? Good luck getting this. Because I notice it slows down when I'm very calm. Yeah. When I'm mindful, mm-hmm. when I'm in a place of peace. People will point out like, oh, you're not doing that thing with your thumb right now. Yeah. But when I am anxious, working, hustling, productive, this thing freaks out. Yeah. That's why literally why I have my hands on the table right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're never at a place of no return. Your brain is capable of a tremendous amount of healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you're giving your brain exactly what it needs. Right? And the reality is you are in control of your neurological destiny. The same way you just said, when I'm calm, this, this trigger, this yeah. stops, you're in control. Right? You are the expert on you. I always tell people when they come to see me, you're the expert on you. I may be the expert on the brain, but you're the expert on you. It's two experts coming together mm. to figure out how we can best help you in the moment, whatever you're struggling with. Mm. But you already know the answer. You just said, when I am calm, I feel better. When I run, I feel, right, better. I feel better. And then we still don't choose to do Listen. it every day. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, the best doctors on this planet exercise, the sun, water, meditation, meditation, eating healthy, minimizing stress, getting sleep. Sleep is made for the brain. Getting mm. sleep. So that is one of your last chapters in the book. Well, one of the few last chapters in your book is mindfulness and the brain and mindfulness outside of exercise, meditation, the sun, sleep, water. What about, because that's that incredible state of self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. You don't judge yourself. How does one get there if they are dealing with some of these other things, anxiety, depression, like what would you tell us to kind of train our brain to get, get to that mindful state? Well, I think it depends on what's going on in that person's life, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody's going to have a completely different situation. Right. So for some people, I could be like, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you on a routine when you first wake up and they can follow it. Some people are going to be like, listen, I can't follow that routine. I'm super busy. Like I can't make a whole bunch of changes. Right. <laughs> so then it'll be Never like, when right. it's related to our health. <laughs> oh my God. Like you need to, you need to be in medicine. Like <laughs> nobody cares about their health. Like the only thing people care about health-wise, they will pay cash and do everything if they need like a new boob job, a BBL, Physical body, whatever. yes, yes. You say somebody, listen, you need a new heart. They'll be like, well, you're going to pay for that. I'm not paying for my new heart and I'm still going to smoke. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> right? So, but yeah, so some people, it's going to be about making small changes. Right? It could be like, listen, just you, you never drank water before? Drink a glass a day. Right? Do that for two weeks. Then go to two glasses a day. Is anybody else listening to this? Like you're a neurologist and a surgeon, and this is what you get paid to tell people? Like change your habits, change your life. Basically. Ba- like it, basically I have, the same, I have the same conversation so often that when my sons are listening to me talk to a patient, before I even say what I'm going to say, they're already saying it. My sons are 11 and 9. And I'm like, I need a new job. Drink water and exercise, lady. (laughs) Yeah. So like, yeah. Wow. So for the the overthinkers, the very productive individuals, the driven folks listening to this that probably have a question about the brain and productivity. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to hack your brain? Is there a way to be more productive? Is there a way to be... Like, I don't know, superhero, above average, like, 
I hear on end, I mean, you know this, like I got the books over here on the brain hacks, right? How to outbeat the average individual. Are there things that we're not aware of in our brain that can make us more productive, more this, more that? Absolutely. And it never comes in the form of a pill, right? (laughs) I know for myself, like I am more productive. And and this went back to when I was in college. So I played on the tennis team in college, right? right? The semesters where I played tennis and I carried a regular course load, Mm-hmm. I did really well in school. There was a semester. I was like, I'm not playing tennis this semester. And not only am I not playing tennis, I'm only going to have classes Tuesday and Thursday. You were like, I'm about to live my life. That's right. <laughs> I did the worst I have ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so did you give yourself too much space? You weren't I gave myself your brain space. every day? I wasn't exercising. An example that I give, right? Like we need to, we need to treat ourselves like athletes treat the, their bodies, right? Mm. When you look at professional athletes, right? a lot of them are successful in other endeavors. So I said, like, I, I grew up playing and competing in tennis, so I'm a little biased when it comes to tennis, so I'll, I'll give a tennis example, yeah. right? A lot of these top professional tennis players, whether it's, like, Serena Williams, Roger Federer, whoever, they'll win a tournament in France today and deliver their victory speech in French. Next week, they go, they play a tournament, they win it in Italy, they'll deliver their victory speech in Italian. They're not spending any significant time in these particular countries, but because they're constantly moving their bodies, they're giving their brains everything their brains need in order for them to pick up information very efficiently, right? And be incredibly productive. Like how is it LeBron James just became a billionaire and is playing basketball seven, eight months out the year? What what the hell are the rest of us doing, (laughs) right? Clearly not enough. But these guys, they're constantly challenging their brains through their physical activity. And then they're able to pick up things much more easily. Where the rest of us, we're sedentary, right? We're sitting down all day, right? We're under a lot of stress. We don't have any real stress relievers. They're moving their bodies, so they're naturally relieving a lot of their stress. And then we're struggling in other parts of our life. Y'all, we've been overthinking this. Literally overthinking this. It's real basic. It's real. God has given us everything our bodies and our brains need in yeah. order for us bodies to thrive. Bodies magnificent. Beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. All right. So I want to wrap with this. You guys, this is so cool because really as scientific as this episode could have been to me, I'm like, we really have the power. Yeah. We really do have the power. It's there. Yeah. For everyone saying that, like, I feel like this became a hot thing was when you are anxious and you are excited, it is the same. Your brain doesn't know the difference or your body doesn't know the difference. I don't remember which one it was, but it was like your body, your brain doesn't know the difference and you can change your perspective and kind of get through it. If you just tell yourself that you're excited. How true is that? I mean, it's really true. Your brain doesn't know the difference between right or wrong or good or bad. Right. Our bodies have the same sort of physical manifestations, whether we're excited. Right. Our heart rate goes up. Mm-hmm. Right. Our muscles get tense. If we're anxious, our heart rate goes up. Our muscles get tense. Right. Mm-hmm. So it really does depend on what you're telling yourself. Right? But this is why I said the fact that you are aware of your thoughts says that you are not your brain. You are a much higher level of consciousness than your brain. And so you do need to take charge of your brain. You do need to tell it what it needs to do. You need, you do need to guide it. Right. You are not your brain. You are not your brain. Change your brain, change your life. Yep. This was good. This was good. If you had to leave 
everybody with something just about the the power of their brain, the neurons, neuroplasticity, something powerful for the listeners. What would you leave them with? I would say that the fact that your brain is constantly evolving means that you are meant to evolve. And you need to be doing that, working on that every single day. I think we drown ourselves in resistance often to change. I mean, we stay in the same jobs for 20, 30 years, right? And expect that somehow our lives are going to change. We hang out with the same people, right? We go to the same places. We have the same routines, right? We tell ourselves we're creatures of habit. I tell people that being a creature of habit is killing your neurological destiny. It's the most dangerous thing we can do for the brain. Incredibly dangerous. Y'all, do you hear this? Do you hear this? Evolve, change, reevaluate, redefine, and evolve again. To think that even that even attests to the fact that we always say, I'm this type of person. Right. When you said the things around like, I am depressed, I am an anxious person, I am this, I am that. But we also say like, I am a this type of person, I am a... I'm an extroverted type of person. I'm a this type of person. Like you're, you're kind of cementing that you are this type of person instead of being open to evolving and change. Yeah. One of the things I talk to patients about or I talk about in healthcare is that I think we do a disservice by giving people a diagnosis, by giving them a label because then they just strongly identify with that label. Strongly identify. Yeah. You know, and an example I'll give is like, I was seeing a patient who had epilepsy didn't have seizures in over six months. So they're coming to see me for their follow-up visit. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey, what have you been doing the last six months? And he's like, nothing, I have epilepsy. I'm like, okay, but you haven't had a seizure <laughs> in like a year. Right. I'm like, are you just waiting for the next one? Like, what, <laughs> what? You know, but this is what happens. People strongly identify with whatever the diagnosis is. Instead of saying to themselves, maybe this is part of my life. Maybe this is a chapter in the book of my life. Maybe this is just a few pages in the book of my life, but there's so much more to me, right? I say this all the time. And this is what I say. I mean, look, I've had two kidney transplants. I've had kidney disease. It's a chapter in my life. And I use that experience to help others. But it's not who I am. Okay, one one last question now. I swear I'll leave you alone after this. (laughs) Letting go of things. There's a lot of people that hoard and hold on to things. A lot. Anger, sadness, um, wrongdoing, betrayal, right? People, like, we love to hold on to shit. Yeah. Is that something in our brain? I mean, it's safer, right? You know what you're going to get from that. But it no longer exists. It happened four or five, six. But to let that stuff go means that you need to be vulnerable because you now need to accept pretty much the opposite. And what is? There's uncertainty in that. Your brain does not like uncertainty. Your brain likes to be able to predict the future, right? I mean, even in our biases and our stereotypes, it's all about keeping your brain safe, keeping yourself safe. Right. doesn't matter how wrong it is. It's still about trying to keep you safe. If I can look at somebody and be like, in a split second, that person's dangerous, let me cross the street, I've, I've survived, right? I mean, I could be completely wrong. That could have been the love of my life, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But, you know, that, that's the game that the brain plays. You are not your brain. Change your brain, change your life. Like, I'm literally hearing talk back. Like, yeah. when you hear your thoughts, talk back. Yeah, just don't talk back in front of a psychiatrist because then they'll put you on meds. <laughs> <laughs>
So you don't want to do that. Oh. Yeah. I'm always like, it's amazing, right? Because we can kind of talk to God and that's okay. But if God talks back, then there's a problem, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that. So people are allowed to say, God said to me. People but if they were just like, talking to themselves. Well, people are allowed to be like, yes, I prayed to God. Yeah. Right? But if they're like, God told me to go do this. And it's like, mm. you sound like you're a tad bit psycho. Yeah. <laughs> I know a really good psychiatrist who's going to put you on fill in the blank. You should not hear thoughts <laughs> like that. You should not hear things like right. that. Wow. This was incredible. Um, I think we could do this again. I hope you guys got an incredible lesson from this. I hope you understand yourself a little bit better. As again, as deep as this was, I really appreciate what you really did was just debunk a lot of things and give us like, you kind of like gave us the power back. Like exercise, meditation, sun, water, like you have all the tools and they don't cost a fortune. No. Like you said, things readily available right now and the fastest to fix it. Yeah. It's insane. Like we have the power. So Dr. Philippe, thank you. Please tell my audience where they can stalk you, learn more, grab your book. Just kind of tell them where you hang out at. Yeah. So they can find me on Instagram. My handle is philippe.md. Uh, they can go to my website, the Inley Brain Fit Institute.com. The my, what, what? Say that again. The Inley Brain Fit Institute.com. <laughs> so I N L E Brain Fit Institute. Um, yeah. They can find my book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. So, Neuroplasticity. Yeah. yeah. They can even email me and I'll, I'll get back to them. So really quick. Can you just just for a hot second, talk about the book that you wrote for children? I think yeah. this is incredible. So I created this little character called Nuri the Neuron um, and created a, a children's illustrated series uh, to really start teaching kids about how they can start taking charge of their brains and about how what they do every day impacts their brains, right? And the reality is that there's no age that's too early to start teaching kids about how they can impact their lives. Is there an age that's too late? Because they always tell us, oh, a child's self-esteem or brain function like is fully developed by the age of seven. Yeah, no, your brain's not fully developed until you're like, I mean, we, when we say fully developed, yes, it's like, yeah. it's constantly evolving. So it's right. never really developed, but like, usually it's around 27, 28. Like, I don't even like, I'll, like, and this is a bias, but I don't like seeing patients that are guys in their 20s. <laughs> you're like, bro, you're not done yet. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, half cooked. That's why. <laughs> like, I've literally gone to my, my assistants and secretaries and been like, do not schedule me for guys in their 20s. <laughs> like and I've been like I don't know how you girls date them but don't <laughs> don't put them on my schedule right and in medicine there's a fight like yeah because the pediatricians are like we don't want them because they're 20 I'm like I don't want them because they're still acting like a kid <laughs> and your brain is having a two-year-old tantrum right now and that's, that's right. not my fault that you're 22 years old <laughs> that's right and I'm tired of when I ask you a question you look to your mom like we're not we're not doing all this right <laughs> like, these poor boys I have a son <laughs> shit <laughs> So, so yeah. This is really cool though, because I just said on another episode I did with Ludmila, I was like, we should be able to tell someone I'm 33 years old, but, um, it like when it comes to relationship and love, I'm seven, like based yeah. on, based on the healing of, of yourself. Right. But it's really like your brain age as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm this old, but like when I have a tantrum, I'm really like the seven year old me. Yeah. Like my brain, <laughs> my brain is this old. Listen, I almost got completely pushed out of medicine, uh, a few years back because of an interaction I had with the patient and his mom, where this guy was like 27. His mom comes in, they were like completely enmeshed. And she was like, Dr. Duyon, so-and-so had a seizure the other day because he held onto his poop for too long. And I was like, I literally turned my chair, looked at the guy and I was like, 
so-and-so, why'd you hold on to your poop for too long? <laughs> and I'm like, I walked out of the, the exam room. I went to my nurses. I'm like, today's my last day. <laughs> I'm, done. I'm, not, I'm not dealing with this. Literally, I'm not dealing with this. And listen, the stress of holding on to your poop for too long probably did cause a seizure. But we don't need to have that conversation. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so you guys know where you can find more about him. Check him out. Um, some of the things that you're doing as of recent, speaking, really trying to spread this message. Understand the connection between the brain and the body. Change your brain, change your life is huge. I can't thank you enough. And just giving us a little bit of it. Well, thank you for having me. This is fun. So thank you. Thank you.